millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Christmas comes early for the UK as COVID vaccine to be rolled out from next week. But why are we lagging behind? As the health minister indicates, we could be ready by January. And new European guidelines say air travel passengers shouldn't be considered high risk. So where does that leave us in terms of quarantine and non-essential travel? On our first panel tonight, Fianna Fáil's Lisa Chambers and Kingston Mills, Professor of Experimental Immunology at Trinity College Dublin. And the Taoiseach may fancy a pint. There's nothing I would like better right now than a pint in some rural pub. Yeah, but he's facing backlash from the wet pubs across the country, demanding a reopening date. Plus, later in the show, as part of Virgin Media's backing business campaign, Ireland AM will be broadcasting live from Cork tomorrow. Fall to Ireland's Jenny DeSalles will be telling us how tourism has been hit hard in Cork and across the country. Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TonightVMTV. We're joined first by Richard Chambers of Virgin Media News. Given that today the British stole a march and surprised everyone by announcing the early delivery and administration of a vaccine, what has been said by our government in the Doyle today as to what's going to happen here? Well, the message from the government is a very positive one. The fact that the UK government, the UK regulators have given the go-ahead for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, it's thought as a positive thing, that we're not that far behind, that the a European Medicines Agency is giving a sign-off on this by December 29th at the latest, if not before then. Stephen Donnelly speaking to him this evening as well. His message was that we are a matter of weeks away, it seems now at this point, pending that approval from the beginning of the rollout of a vaccine programme in this country, starting with that Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Ireland has about 2.2 million plus doses of this vaccine. Of course, it's a two-dose vaccine ready to go uh, just in advanced purchase. So there will be more following that as well. So everybody's stressing this is a very, very positive thing. Here's what the health minister had to say earlier on. It's very, very positive that it looks like we could be rolling out this vaccine very early in January. The quicker we can roll that out, obviously, the quicker we can move on from COVID. What about opposition concerns, though, as to how well this will actually be done? Even talk about should we have a minister separate to Stephen Donnelly dedicated to doing this job? Yeah, and it is all about checks and balances from the opposition standpoint. Obviously, as you say there, Alan Kelly's suggestion that there would be a minister for vaccines. Other opposition parties have scoffed at that idea. They're saying that what isn't what's needed rather than a designated minister is that you would properly fund public health departments, immunologists, to make sure that this is done very safely, that we do get to the prioritised groups, the elderly people, those who are clinically vulnerable early on in the new year, that we do have a smooth vaccine rollout, as well as that communications is something the opposition parties are looking 
working for as well, trying to sort of counteract any disinformation, misinformation about vaccines that might be out there. Everyone wants to be optimistic about this vaccine and the other vaccines that are apparently on their way. But I understand Tanishta Leo Varadkar had a word of caution as well today. Yeah, and I think this is something which is going to be stressed over the weeks ahead from public health authorities. They're going to be stressing that you need to get through winter first before we get this. As well as that, it's going to be a number of months before we see, you know, the majority of people, if they do need that vaccine, starting to get it. Leo Varadkar at the Parliamentary Party meeting of Fine Gael, uh, tonight saying that there are some unknowns about this. We need to get over some of the issues around logistics, the rollout of something which needs to be stored at minus 70 degrees centigrade is part of that. As well as that, how long do the vaccines actually last for? HICRA had done some work on that about how long you actually get immunity from COVID-19. So there are some unknowns there. Very much stressing though the fact that these vaccines do appear to be very, very safe and have huge efficacy as well. So uh, positivity is the name of the game at the moment. Richard Chambers, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Matt. And now for a reaction to this vaccine news from the north of Ireland, we're joined by Alton Power, Professor of Molecular Virology at Queen's University, Belfast. Alton, 12,000 doses arriving in the north next week. Who's going to get them and how? So there's 25,000 doses, Matt, uh, and it's going to be that equivalent to 12,000 or just over 12,000 individuals because it's a two-dose vaccine, obviously, right? They, uh, who gets the vaccine is decided primarily by the JCVI, which is the Joint Committee for Vaccines and Immunizations. And the priority list for them is, number one, um, highly vulnerable people in care homes. And then second to that, then are people 80 years of age and older who are not necessarily in care homes and then healthcare workers come in second. And thereafter, it goes down in tiers of 10 years, so 70-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 50-year-olds, etc. And the rationale behind that is that the um, association with severe disease is age dependent. So the older you are, the higher the risk you will have of um, very severe disease and death from this virus. So that's what uh, anticipated here in, in Northern Ireland and across the UK actually um, over the coming uh, weeks and months. Alton, is there any fear the British authorities have jumped the gun a little bit on this, given that the European authorities and the FDA are still waiting for a little bit more information before they give approval for this vaccine? Um, difficult to answer that one, Matt. Um, obviously, this is emergency use, and you could argue that we are in emergency at the moment uh, with the COVID-19 and the death rate, as you know, particularly in Northern Ireland, is uh, reasonably high, or the case rate load in Northern Ireland is uh, considerably high at this stage. So we're in an emergency. Um, on the other hand, I think the MHRA will have taken the time to look in granular detail at the data and bear in mind that they have been interacting with the company right through the development process. So it's not like, like one day last week they were suddenly landed with all this information. They would have been aware of it all the way through. And furthermore, they would have been aware of the development of the, of the vaccine from phase one to phase two, which would obviously require independent controlled verification that everything was okay from a safety point of view and similarly between phase two and phase three. So you could argue, yes, it seems very fast, but you could also ask the question, why are the EMA and the FDA taking so long over it? So it cuts both ways, I think, in terms of the argument of the question. As a professional in this field, how hopeful are you that this will be a very effective vaccine, which will be a game changer? 
So the data is very promising and 95% efficacy for any vaccine is really wonderful. The news is, you know, superb. The level of adverse events associated with the vaccine as well is higher than other vaccines that are routinely, routinely used, but there's no evidence of any serious adverse events associated with the vaccine so far. Again, really, really good news. Now that doesn't take from the fact that we need, there are still a number of questions that need to be addressed. First of all, as we are rolling out to much, much greater numbers that were incorporated into the clinical trials, um, are we? Is it possible that we might see more rare adverse events or serious adverse events that weren't picked up during the clinical trials? So it will be really important to keep a close monitoring on adverse events and serious adverse events associated with the vaccines during the rollout. The second issue is how long does immunity last following vaccination? Obviously, this is happening quite quick. We're now only like months, weeks and months after the vaccination, where the number of um, people infected has met the endpoint for the vaccine trial. But ideally, we would like a vaccine that would last at least a year, if not longer, before any necessity for revaccination. So it's good news, really, really good news, a major breakthrough for biomedical science in general. Um, but there's still some questions that need to be followed over the next weeks and months as the rollout happens. Thank you very much for joining us from Belfast, Alton. Kingston Mills is with us here in our Dublin studio. Do you share Alton's confidence and positivity? Yeah, I mean, in general, I do. I think um, I would just add a further note of caution, and that is that these vaccines have been shown to prevent COVID-19 disease in the short term. They haven't been shown yet that they prevent SARS-CoV-2 infection, and that's a higher hurdle to cross. So, what so why is that significant? Because if you want to get um, protection of the community and stop transmission in the community, the vaccine also has to prevent infection. So at the moment, we only know that the vaccine prevents disease, and that's based on very short-term data. Seven days after the second of two doses, nobody or a very small number in the arm that were given the vaccine got um, the disease. But we, they didn't have any readout which would tell them whether they had mild disease. So some of the people so, that were... Sorry, just explain that to me again. Does that mean that people could actually have it? It does doesn't develop as a serious illness, but they could pass it on to somebody else who hasn't been vaccinated. That's correct. And we don't know that yet from the data that's available. And remember that I or any of my colleagues have not seen any data. All we've seen so far is um, the uh, press releases from the companies. Now, the, the MHRA and the EMA and the FAA, FDA will have seen the full data set. Um, and that data set can run to hundreds or even thousands of pages. So they will, be, will have reviewed all that data, but they won't have in that data, as, as Alton alluded to, any information other than beyond that seven to 14 days after the second of two doses. So they won't so be able to... So do you think, have they jumped the gun a little bit, the British, by saying, let's go for this? Or do you agree with Alton's position? We're in an emergency, we've got to have a shot at this. I agree with Alton. I mean, absolutely, we're in an emergency situation. This is emergency use authorization as well and the same is going to be the case with the EMA and the FDA if they are licensed they will be licensed under in their uh, special circumstances so normally you would wait for um, a good deal longer than 7 to 14 days and um, the Pfizer vaccine was 7 days the AstraZeneca and the Moderna vaccines were both 14 days Pfizer will follow up with a 14 day um, um, efficacy outcome a little later and then throughout the year as Alton said they will be looking at the level of infection in the individuals that got the 
the virus. So they'd be able to estimate what we call effectiveness rather than efficacy in the real population that when it, once it's rolled out. Lisa Chambers, should the government be acting faster? Should we be trying to emulate what the British are doing in getting this vaccine to people more quickly than we intend doing? The UK can effectively do what they want. Um, we're operating under the European Medicines Agency, but it's not the time difference is, is quite minuscule. At, at most, we're talking another four weeks um, before uh, the BioNTech and Pfizer vaccine is assessed. So it's a really small time difference, really. Um, so I'm, I'm satisfied that the pace is as fast as it can be for us here in Ireland. Um, we have a task force that's been set up by government to look at rolling out the vaccine. Yesterday, as a country, we took delivery of nine high-tech, low-temperature fridges to to get ready for this rollout. Um, there are very experienced um, experts working on this in terms of that, that task force, and they will report to government on the 11th of December, so in a very short time frame, rolling out, um, I suppose, the plan for rolling this out. So things are moving fast, uh, and the difference really between ourselves and the UK is, is, is quite minor. How confident would you be, Kingston, that this will be done properly by the state? I'm hopeful that it will be done. I mean, I think there are some deficiencies in the system. And um, one of the things that we don't have here in Ireland that a lot of other countries have is a patient identifier number that allows in, um, tracking of medicines and vaccines to individuals. And that can be very, very useful in the rollout of a vaccine when it's integrated with a proper IT system that, that connects all GPs with hospitals and all different sections and of the And we don't HRC. have that, do we? Well, we're moving towards it, but we don't have it yet, as, as, I, as I understand. We certainly don't have a patient identifier number so every Sorry, could we be using everyone's pps number to do that yes that's all right for adults but if you're going to vaccinate children they wouldn't have a pps number they do. They do. Children would have a PPS number. Oh, they do. Number okay. Well, well, then the, the, you could use a PPS number. But the, 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 the key thing is having a system that can connect the, the vial of vaccine that goes to each individual with that individual. So that if you move, for example, from one part of the country to another, the, the complete record is there of when you've had the vaccine, what vaccine you've had. And remember, we could have several vaccines in use next year if we're lucky enough to that several other ones are licensed. So it could be that, you know, we could be administering two or three different types of vaccines. So it's important that there's a very good record kept of who gets what vaccine so that the second dose is compatible with the first Lisa, one. Lisa, this is worrying that we have had plenty of complaints in recent years about an IT system that's not fit for purpose in our health system. Should this work not have been done over the course of the year in anticipation that there would at some stage be a vaccine that would have to be administered? The work is in train. This work should have been done a decade ago. Um, so we are behind on this and it is. it has been a failing within the system. Um, th I think COVID will accelerate this work. So it's one of the, 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 plus, the pluses of the whole, whole experience. Um, but the, the vaccine will be tracked and this work is underway. So I expect it to happen and I think it'll happen faster than it might have done. And it's going to be a plan as to whether GPs do it or are there going to be special field centres set up that people will have to go to to get their vaccines? I can't answer that tonight. It's part of the task force work and we won't know that until they report to government on the 11th of December. What do you think is needed for that, Kingston? Well, because I mean, we're hearing a lot about temperature control, but is there a lot more to it than that? Yeah, I mean, the Pfizer vaccine is particularly rare and it needs to be kept at minus 70 degrees, which is ultra-low temperature. And you're never going to have one of these devices in the GP surgery. So clearly, when the Pfizer vaccine, if it's the first one, which it likely is, is going to be rolled out, it's not going to be done in a GP surgery. It's going to have to be done in a, in a setting where you can house these freezers, most likely a hospital or clinic. So it's not going to be um, a regular type where you can go to a pharmacy now and have your your influenza vaccine. That's not going to happen with the with the Pfizer flu vac or the Pfizer COVID vaccine. So Lisa, should there be a special dedicated minister for doing this, as Alan Kelly of the Labour Party has suggested, somebody whose responsibility is this and nothing else? 
think that might be a little bit overkill. Um, I, I think the Minister for Health is, is on top of his brief. Um, they've got a task force. They've brought in external expertise for this purpose. I think the team in place is, is, is the right team for the job. Now, who should be prioritised to getting the, the vaccine? Should it be done the way we just heard it described for the North? Yeah, I mean, Alton's um, um, description of what's happening in the North, he didn't mention healthcare workers, I don't think, but obviously they would be at the top line as well, of, uh, as well as the people in nursing homes and the, and the older population. So clearly they're the, the, the high-risk individuals are the, and, and they would be first in line to get it, absolutely. And then working down with children last? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a big question mark about children because um, um, none of the vaccines, with the exception of the Pfizer vaccine, have been tested in children yet. The Pfizer vaccine was tested in a small cohort of children between the ages of 13 and 18. But so we don't know yet, in particular, about safety in children. So I would be worried about right now advocating any of these vaccines going into children. Would you believe in a COVID vaccine passport as part of the process? It's very premature to talk about COVID vaccine passports simply because of what I said earlier about preventing disease versus infection. A passport is only useful if we know that the vaccine prevents infection and we don't know that because if the vaccine prevents disease but doesn't prevent infection, then somebody might have, um, might be, have no symptoms and would have been vaccinated but they could still transmit that virus to somebody else. So they're not actually protected from transmitting the virus. So a vaccine pa passport in that context would be premature. OK, what about the European guidelines on air transport, which were announced today, air traffic? Is it safe, do you think, to allow people to fly? I think that the, the, the way that the, 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 the air um, industry and the government should move towards... I mean, we've changed the system here in that there's, a, there's now an option of doing a five-day test on arrival, but I think it should actually be slightly more stringent than that. There should be a pre-test, a pre-travel pre test, three days before travel, and a post-travel test, because there's an incubation period of five days and, and one test can, can miss that incubation period. But if you have a pre-test, pre-travel test and a post-travel, you should get 95 or 99% of all positive cases. And then it's, it, it, it's, it's safe to travel. And given these rulings from the European Union today, is that going to encourage people, you think, to come home for Christmas? I think people were going to come home for Christmas anyways, a lot of people. Um, it's been a difficult year and I think families want to be reunited for the Christmas period. I, I think the, the guidelines in place for the country now um, will make it as safe as possible, but there is a huge element of trust here and personal responsibility. So we all know the basics that we need to abide by in terms of social distancing and hand washing and just keeping our contacts and the numbers we, we mix with to the most... To, to Do the you really think if people come home, say, to Mayo for a week at Christmas, that they'll spend five days in the house not going out isolating? Well, a friend of mine just, just arrived back actually with her family from Australia and, and they are isolating before they go to visit her parents. So yeah, people, I mean, if you want to protect your loved ones, you'll isolate. You're doing it for them, not for yourself. Okay, we leave it there. Thanks very much to Kingston Mills for joining us. Lisa Chambers is staying with us. And after the break, the Taoiseach had this to say in the Dáil today. There's nothing I would like better right now than a pint in some rural pub. But is the government's decision to keep the wet pubs closed an assault on rural Ireland? Michael Healy-Ray will join us too. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Fianna Fáil's Lisa Chambers is still with us. And we're also joined by the independent TD, Michael Healy-Ray. Michael, earlier this year, you got up in the dial and you said you saw no difference between a man with a pint in one hand and a sandwich in the other and a man with a pint in one hand and nothing in the other hand. Yes. But the government continues and Neffet continues to believe that we're in a situation whereby the wet pubs are dangerous. And there are reports today that until everyone gets vaccinated, the wet pubs could be closed till October next year. What do you make of that? Well, first of all, just less than half an hour ago inside the Dáil, I stood up and I said that I hated this term, wet uh, pubs. I would love to have a verbal engagement with whoever dreamt up that name because it is stupid. Well, what and would the, you call them? So? And the person, they're public houses. They're all public houses ran by vintners. People who go before our courts every September to get their licence. But they don't have a kitchen and, and they don't yes, serve food. Yes, but this rubbish of wet pubs, it's nonsense. And for the government, and I'm very surprised that Lisa would actually condone what this government is doing because what Michal Martin said today was wrong. He said in response to Deputy Matty McGrath, he said that he had nothing against public houses. It's obvious that... He says that, he wants to have a pint of yes, one himself. Well, He's a looking forward a, to a it. A load of rubbish. He'd choke on it if he tried to drink a pint. The thing about it is, is what this government is doing, they're playing out to what I actually believe is a policy by them. And that policy is an anti-rural policy. And I'll tell you why. I won't make the statement without justifying it. For a long time, they've been knocking away at rural Ireland. For instance, undermining our post office network reducing the amount of planning permissions being granted in rural areas. Now, this is like manna from heaven from them to be able to shut down pubs. And I want to just remind Michael, you about one thing. that sounds like a giant conspiracy theory. Yes, but can I just remind you about rural one thing? Ireland. When we keep talking then about rural pubs, don't think that this is all just pubs in small villages that are being shut and affected. Because, for instance, the finest uh, tourism capital of the world, Killarney Town, for instance, as an example, many public houses in that great town of Killarney will be unable to open under these uh, rules and this two-tier public house uh, syndrome that the government seemed to be hanged up on. No, it just makes no sense. And the Taoiseach made a statement that was completely wrong and very unfair. He said, uh, maybe a few number of days ago, there is no scientific basis on which we could open these pubs. But there is no scientific basis on which you can keep them closed. So, Lisa, I'm really shocked, surprised, bamboozled and amazed to think that you could justify this type of behaviour by the There's government that you were There's a lot to unpack there now, Lisa, particularly that this is a plot against rural Ireland. 
Well, I, I suppose I, Michael has preempted what I'm about to say, but um, we agree on two things. I think the term wet pub is horrific and needs to be just disbanded because it's just a pub. Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, Clarny is a fine time because I was there in my holidays in August and we had a great time. But in terms of any suggestion that Fianna Fáil is an anti-rural party, I mean, often we're accused of the complete opposite. I think it's just farcical. And this suggestion that we've been, we've been for a long time undermining rural Ireland, we're only in government six months, so that's just not factually correct. In terms of the scientific basis, I'm not... First of all, I want to acknowledge how how difficult it has been for Republicans. Um, they haven't, some of them have not opened since last March, and some of them won't reopen. Many of them in my own county of Mayo, in many small communities, they are the, the central point, the meeting point. So is that the right thing to do? Are they really the places where this illness is going to be spread? I suppose at the outset, I don't think anybody really believes that there's somehow a conspiracy to kill off rural Ireland by keeping the pubs closed during the pandemic. I think people do accept whether the decisions are right or wrong in terms of people's view of it. I think people accept that the decisions being taken are to try and protect people's health and keep people safe. Well, then why the, not keep the, all the pubs that serve food closed as well? Yeah, and there was an argument that it'd be all or nothing. Um, and I can understand that argument. Now, I'm not privy to NEFA's advice that goes to government. What we have been told, and, and I think the key reason why the decision was taken not to, to open the, the pubs that don't serve food, um, was that they were able to compare the situation in Dublin and what happened in Cork, Galway and, and Limerick when they did reopen the pubs that didn't serve food. And they saw a difference, that the 14-day instance rate where the disease, uh, how much it multiplied in, the, in a thousand, 100,000 population, that there was a, quite, there was a 33% difference that it didn't rise as fast in Dublin as it did in the other bigger cities. So that's what, that's what, the, that's what I understand their basis. So there's your on. evidence for you, Michael. But before, before we move on, we can talk about evidence. At the end of the day, there's people's livelihoods, um, the heart of the community. And like the Taoiseach, I would love to be going to my local pub. We go there every Christmas Eve as a family, my local pub. Uh, I meet up with my friends as well. And in the other, we've a few local pubs. So I'll miss that this Christmas. We'll all miss it. Um, but there's certainly nothing there to try and, and, and harm publicans or rural Ireland. And I, I sincerely hope that we can get every place open as quick as possible and get this vaccine rolled out. Well, if the publicans of Ireland were relying on Fianna Fáil to be their friends, they wouldn't have much business dealing with their enemies because anything that you have done, it, whether it's going back to when you were in opposition and now worse when you were in government, you've done nothing to help them. And and it's really so unfair when I see Michal Martin doing what he is doing and being ably supported by yourself and others. Why aren't he standing out and saying this is wrong? Because it is wrong. And it is totally unfair on these respectable people to be telling them that they have to stay sh shut indefinitely. And it is, it is creating a divide because it just does not make sense. If you of one pub on one side of the road with a kitchen that the other pub on the other side of the road that doesn't have a kitchen can't open. It makes, it's crazy and it is stupid. And why is it when people get into government? Number one, they do stupid things. Number two, number two, they're blinded by people who support stupid things without questioning it. It's, a, it's like the emperor wearing no clothes. Like, why can't people come out and say to me, Al Martin, what you are doing is wrong. And to Leo Varadka, what you are doing is wrong. It Very doesn't make sense. To respond to that, it doesn't make take a sense. Break. Well, a lot of people have come out to say that they think that the decision is wrong. And like I said, I'm not a member of government, so I haven't had this advice. So I'm not, you know, I'm not here to say to, to, to pubs that don't serve food that you can never reopen. I, I want them open as quick as possible. You're one of the lieutenants the time, supporting the, them. Michael, when we were in opposition and we sat in the same chamber together only a few short months ago, we very often agreed on things and worked together on things. So, uh, you know, it, th things haven't changed that much, but we are in 
a crisis okay. situation and I, we're, we're working towards getting a vaccine rolled out so that everywhere can reopen I wonder, as is it as, as much an anti-alcohol as anti-rural Ireland philosophy at work? We'll have more on that right after the break. And could we also be facing the collapse of the tourism industry in the new year? Or could new European air travel advice give that inbound tourism a boost? That's after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back. Fianna Fáil's Lisa Chambers and Independent TD Michael Healy-Ray are still with us. Michael, I don't know if your conspiracy theory about the government being anti-rural really flies, but let me throw another one at you, that there are some people who feel that there's an anti-alcohol agenda at work in elements of our health system, and maybe they see this as a way to reduce alcohol intake in the country. Well, I'm very sorry to tell you that I've already been saying that for a long time, that there is, and you know who's propagating it as well. And I don't mean offence to yourself or anyone on this show personally, but the media are doing it. Because I want to make it quite clear. There is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with a person going out and having a sociable drink. It's a lovely thing to do. But over the last number of years, there seems to be this perception and there are politicians out there who actually promote this in a, in a shrewd sort of a way that it's as if there's something wrong with you by going have you a drink. I mean, I'm... Isn't I'm, that an exaggeration? No, like, it's isn't not. Isn't it also the case that you have severe problems with alcoholism in this country yeah, but, and you have people, you have domestic issues yeah. arising from alcohol misuse and that there are serious concerns about the cost to the health service of dealing with alcohol-related illnesses? But you're picking the cases where people, unfortunately have an addictive personality and they might take too much drink. But what I'm saying is the average man, woman or any type of person that wants to go out and have a sociable drink, meet their friends. I mean, I'm, I remember everyone can only cite their own example. When I'd be going through our village before and if I saw certain cars outside a pub or a van, a workman that I'd like to, to engage with, I'd, I'd, I'd go in when I'd see their vehicle stopped and I'd want to pull in and I'd want to go in and meet them and talk to them. And yes, you might have a drink. This is going back years ago. And you would have a drink because you'd be delighted to meet them. And it was a way to find out what was happening. It could be about sports, politics, relationships. And there was nothing wrong with it. And there is nothing wrong with people well, drinking Well, hold on. Alcohol. It depends on how much people have to drink before they start driving again, yes, doesn't it, look, Michael? Uh, look, that horse has been flogged to death. No, don't even start that now tonight. What we're talking about here is the whole idea of is it all right for people to have a drink? Of course it is. And there is nothing well, okay. wrong with the respectable people who sell drink. Lisa, but there seems there to be case, this thing that element, oh, you, no, we shouldn't be drinking. sort of a pc brigade, a temperance lobby that's using this as an opportunity. The killjoys who don't want people enjoying themselves with a few drinks. 
Well, sure, they're everywhere, and it's not just alcohol, but... Um, but are they in your government, and are they in the health advisors? I'm sure there's people that are very anti-alcohol, um, not just in the government, but in the opposition as well. There's definitely a move in the country away from excessive drinking and binge drinking, and that's a good thing, I think. And obviously, we've made great strides in terms of drink driving and, and people not doing that, and that has saved lives. So I think that's positive. Um, but everything in moderation. I mean, I, I have a drink and social drink, and so do a lot of my friends and family. So that's fine. Um, but I, I don't think there's any move to completely eradicate alcohol consumption in the country. I really don't. Um, but definitely, I think our attitude to alcohol has changed and is changing. And that's part of people being more focused on health and fitness and having to, to drive to work the next morning. So there's lots of, lots of, our society has changed, but still, people still like to have a social drink. So I don't think we need to worry about that, that going anywhere anytime soon. Would be my it's view. like everything in life, too far east is west. And that's exactly what has happened. People, it's gone too far east is now west. We, we, okay, there might have been a situation over the years where uh, people were, uh, too much alcohol was being drank in certain cases, but everything in moderation is fine. And we have excellent people dispensing the drink and they will keep law and order in their houses and they will make sure that people will only do what they should be You're doing. very trusting of all the publicans of Ireland. I am. The, major I, the majority I, I am. of can them I, are great, but there's always but a few, aren't there, who maybe turn a blind eye to some can, of the stuff that goes on. Can I tell you why I am? Because they're your constituents. No, 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 no. Way more than that. They, I engage with them every month because I'm, I'm very open about it. I said it yesterday, speaking outside the Dáil to a number of publicans who had come from around the country. I go into 40 to 50 public houses every month doing my clinics. And I have been very glad to have been allowed to do so. All round Kerry, north, south, east, west and mid Kerry for many years. And I see the way they run their houses, the respectable way they run their houses and the type of men and women and families that they are. And unfortunately, inside in the Dáil now, a lot of the politicians that are inside there have done what I have done for years, but they've forgotten about their publicans and they're leaving them behind because they're not fighting for them. OK, we'll come back to it in a little while, but we're joined now from the Montanati Hotel in Cork by Fulcher Ireland's Director of Sector Development, Jenny DeSalls. Jenny, it has been a catastrophic year for the tourism industry, but is this December opening going to give much help and hope to a beleaguered sector? Thanks, Matt. Um, yes, look, it's great for the industry to get open. Uh, that's what they've really wanted. You know, giving them a chance to open gives them a chance to get some revenue in. But as you said, uh, 2020 has been a devastating year. Um, if you look at 2019, we had 8 billion in revenue from tourism. 2020 looks like we're going to deliver about 2 billion. Um, there was 270,000 people employed. It looks like over 100,000 people are going to lose their jobs. So it has been very very difficult and while it is great for the businesses to open there is a real short period of time for them so you know they're opening now um, like if you look at hotels while they are open the inter-county um, restrictions don't lift till the 18th of December so they really are only going to get a good two and a half weeks of kind of full business so while it is open and the industry are delighted to be open it's still challenging times. But Jenny, what about the restrictions on what the hotels can offer, the numbers that they can accommodate, the facilities that are available? 
For the next couple of weeks it isn't, so from now until the 18th of December you're basically, the hotels are welcoming guests that are from within their own county. And if you think about yourself, we tend to go on holidays or take short breaks in other counties. So hotels would say that between 70 and 80% of their revenue comes from outside of the county. So particularly for hotels it's going to be very challenging. If you look at the restaurants and the gastropubs and I suppose that in-house dining for hotels, that does does offer, offer a real opportunity because there is pent up demand, people do want to get out. So I think there will be an opportunity to gain some revenue through that in-house dining. And then if we look at other parts of the sector, the attractions, they are going to open and you know they're going to be able to do those seasonal experiences like visits to Santa, etc. And that's really important for them. Now what about 2021? Because if this year has been a write-off, what are the fears that next year could be a write-off as well? Well, indeed, and, and look, it's difficult. We're kind of looking forward with a crystal ball, but there's been some good news in terms of the vaccines and seeing the vaccine uh, getting uh, rolled out. So if we're looking into 2021, there's a, there is a sense of hope. But, uh, you know, we've done a lot of research with consumers and consumer sentiment is really saying at the moment that they are looking to start taking their breaks probably from March on. So it does look like the first three months of the year will still be very challenging. And in terms of the interest international market, the research that's been done by Tourism Ireland is really showing that the sentiment is talking about the summer really as the earliest when people, the international visitor is going to come back. So there is no doubt that 2021 will still be a challenging year. I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult to say when will we return to the 2019 uh, revenue numbers, but ourselves, and if you look at Oxford economics, are forecasting between 2023 and 2025, depending on how things happen. So it will take time for the tourism industry to recover but it will recover. That's a long way off. How are many hotels in particular and restaurants and other amenities going to remain open on such a greatly diminished cash flow? And they're only going to be able to do that, Matt, with supports. That's the challenge. So, you know, if you're looking at a lot of the businesses right now, they're getting 5 to 10% of the revenue. If they get a couple of good weeks in December, those weeks they might get up to 20 or 30% of what they would have been getting in 2019. And if you're looking into 2021, probably a best optimistic view would be that they'll get about 50% of their revenue. So they do need the continued support. So the government supports that have been there for things like the CRSS, um, the EWSS and the PUP, so the employment payments, they're still there until uh, March. But other things like the rates uh, waiver, like that's there at the moment to the end of this year. It's really important that that gets extended into 2021 because, you know, that's significant for a lot of businesses. If you think about a 120 bedroom hotel in Cork, they'd be paying about 300,000 in rates. So that's a lot of money. So there, there does need to be a waiver there and we also need to ensure that we provide businesses the opportunity to access low interest loans so they can get uh, money to help them with their cash flow for the next 18 to 24 months. And now how hopeful are you that we will with a vaccine in particular becoming available have a much greater increase in international travel and that people will be coming from the United States from Britain from continental Europe if the flights are available to them? 
Look, the, the research is showing that at an international level, there's a pent up demand for travel. We love to travel and people do want to travel and we're seeing that in the research. The other news that is good for us is that Ireland is seen as a safe destination. So if you look at Ireland in terms of that European scheme, we're orange and we've currently got the lowest rate, uh, the 14 day um, infection rate. So Ireland is being seen as a safe destination, which is really, really positive. But the challenge is also about sentiment for the visitors. So will they feel safe to travel? Now the airlines and the airports are doing a lot to make things safe, but currently sentiment is that they are thinking more about the summer than they are any other time. And that will depend on what happens. So there's a lot of talk about the vaccines being rolled out and that like, for example, in the UK, that it will be rolled out by the end of March. Like, will that happen? Will that vaccine get out there at the level it needs to be to give people um, the safety? And it is important too for all of the businesses to continue to push that safety message and that's why Fault Ireland developed that COVID charter because we know for both the domestic and the international visitor safety is a key concern and it will continue to be so for 2021 so we will get flights back we won't get them at the level that we did you know in 2020 in 2019 it will take some time to build that up uh, our expectation is that it, in the first instance it will be destinations closer to us because people will travel to places that they know places that are close and potentially places where they have family and friends so we would expect um you know uh, holiday makers from the uk and from europe to return quicker than from the states okay. although in the tourism Ireland research it, um the us did say that they had a high sentiment to travel Ireland. Jenny DeSaul of Fulch Ireland, thank you very much for joining us here on The Tonight Show. Thank you. Lisa Chambers, the points brought up there about financial supports for hotels and the tourism sector. If the numbers don't recover in 2021, isn't the government going to have to extend the whole range of financial supports that have been in place this year? Well, there is flexibility there. I mean, 55 million has been allocated in the strategic fund for next year in budget 2021. So money has been put aside. And obviously the... So isn't that a drop in the ocean when you're looking at a potential revenue shortfall for about 6 billion euro? Well, it's not it's not an insubstantial amount. It's a significant amount of money. Um, and that's on top of, of all of the other wage supports that are there, the restart grant. There are other supports in place. And, and you know, I think to date, um, we've done quite a good job in terms of supporting businesses and keeping businesses afloat. It's been really difficult. The money is going to have to come to an end at some point. But I do think that the government will step up to the plate if needs be. If this needs to be flexibility, it has to be extended. I'm sure that'll be looked at. But there is um, a significant fund in place for next year. Um, and hopefully we'll have a vaccine rolled out by then. Michael, we've been worried about whether the pubs will be able to reopen next mm -hmm. year. Do you think will a lot of hotels be able to reopen? Well, our hotel sector in County Kerry, the Federation, is ably represented by Bernadette Randalls of the Randalls Hotel Group. And I'm listening very carefully to what she and others have been saying in reaction to what the government is doing with regard to this sector. And for instance, when the hotels are allowed to open, that's half of the story. The access for the people, whether it's the Irish people or international, European, North Americans, being able or having the wherewithal to come to our hotel, hotels, that's the second part of that sandwich. And we have to make sure that uh, every way we can, 
whether it's the vaccine, whether it's testing at airports, all of these things have to be looked at to ensure that we can make it attractive for, for instance, today. Is there people in North America today booking uh, trips to Ireland to get on a bus and go around? Uh, t- but the people touring? of Kerry want those tour buses going around the Ring of Kerry. We, we want them going around the Ring of Kerry when it is safe to do so. Because like we've always said on this programme and in every other forum, we're worried about business and that's important. But what's more important than business, what's more important than anything else is your grandmother or your grandfather or your auntie or your uncle or your mother or your father. You've only one of each of those people so and you don't want to lose the anybody. The question I asked you is, will the hotels be able to reopen if they're forced to shut for another six months maybe? Well, that is going to pose difficulty because of the simple fact. It's like if you're in a boxing ring and if you're being hit you can only take so many belts before you will eventually fall down. When it comes to shops, pubs, hotels or any business, and that's talking again about the government parties, what they're all lacking is there isn't a businessman amongst them and no one of them ever had to pay people on a Friday. And if they did, they'd be far more appreciative and understanding of the trials and tribulations in running a business. OK, but Michael, we don't know how long it's going to take to run out the vaccine next year. In the event of a vaccine not been widely available by the middle of next year, should there be, for example, the Rose of Tralee next year or should should it be cancelled again? Well, obviously, you don't want to be talking about cancelling something that's not going to be on until the middle or end of next summer. You have to you start would, planning you, well in advance. You would be things. hoping, you would be hoping that it will be safe to do so. And what I would be hoping and praying for is that we will all work together to reach that goal. And that is that we'll be protecting people's safety, but we'll also be protecting their place of work, their place of employment and the people that employ them. Other things, of course, which are very important to tourists are going to things like concerts and sporting events and the rest of it. I mean, do you foresee that people will be allowed back to those next year, Lisa? Or will they actually have to show that they've been vaccinated, perhaps, before they're allowed in? Even if it's something the government doesn't mandate, that it could be for insurance reasons that the organisers of events will demand of people. That I can't answer. Um, I I think we will have a job of work to do in terms of of reaching the right levels of vaccination in the country. But I think it's important not to predict doomsday. Um, You know, there's a lot of positive things happening. We're within weeks of having a vaccine hopefully rolled out. And hopefully by the time we get to next summer, this will be a distant Don't you have to plan for the worst though and hope for the best? You do. And I think that's what we're doing in terms of the budget packet for next year. I mean, it was a colossal budget, the likes we've never seen in the country before. Um, we We are effectively spending our way out of this pandemic to try and protect citizens and businesses. There is a vaccine on the way. So I think we all know where we need to get to. And, you know, in terms of the tourism sector, 70% of tourist jobs are outside Dublin. So we're very acutely aware of the regional impact Yeah, but what about the areas. possibility that a lot of people will just fly into Dublin, that they won't be flying into Knock or into Shannon or into Cork in the future, that a number of the American airlines are now saying maybe Dublin only when they start coming back? No, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I'm of the belief, actually, and I would have been maybe different a few months back that I thought maybe these, these habits or these changes would be permanent. But actually, I think once the vaccine is rolled out, we will just put 2020 behind us. We will move on and go back to living our lives the way we were living them for the most part. And I think the likes of Knock, Airport, Cork, Kerry, Donegal will see business coming back because people want to travel, uh, as was said. Michael, there's something else from the Doyle this evening I want to ask you about. And uh, I believe there was a vote taken about the payment of student nurses who've done an mm-hmm. extraordinary amount of work this year in helping the health system going. And the government, despite, I thought there were promises earlier in the year that they would be looked after, 
is blocking paying them. What's happening? Well, one thing that I've been continuously saying inside in the doll, one of the most insulting things that ever happened to our healthcare workers was when people stood up and started applauding them. And when the HSE started paying for ads in the paper saying, we commend our frontline workers, a load of rubbish. I stood up inside in the doll and I said, I didn't want to ever again hear a government minister praising them because praise is very cheap. Pay them instead. What I wanted them to do was to pay them, honour the pay agreements that are in place for our nurses, scrap the levy where we charge our young nurses to to register as young nurses. Come along then. And I I want to tell you one thing and tell the people of Ireland a very important thing. Do you realise that the engine of any hospital is the catering staff and is the people who feed the people from the kitchen? And do you know that there is people who haven't been paid an increase in 13 years? And then we have a government putting up signs saying, praising them, a load of rubbish. The nurses, the student nurses have done extraordinary work, put themselves at risk and haven't been paid. How can that be justified? It can't, um, quite frankly. I'm not aware of the vote in the doll because I'm not there and I wasn't there, so I don't really know the the background to that. Um, But absolutely, nurses on the front line, be they students or fully qualified, should be paid. If there's difficulties in terms of public sector pay and the talks, um, then we need to look at a special uh, dispensation and maybe a once-off because of COVID. We've done it in other areas we've managed to do things once off you know in an emergency and very quickly and there is no way that I will sit here and justify not paying student nurses who are working on the front line and putting their lives at risk. What justification was given tonight for it? Oh uh, the, the usual load of rubbish and we have section 39 workers then people who have been working in um, they might have been uh, receptionists or drivers and they too are in a dispute because they're not being paid what they actually should have been paid and what was agreed by their excellent okay. union representatives that they should have got and they didn't get it. Stop praising them and start paying them. Thank you very much to both of our guests for being with us. That is all we've time for tonight. I'll be back on radio and Today FM tomorrow, back here tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. And don't forget to tune into Ireland AM Live from Cork tomorrow morning as part of Virgin Media's Backing Business campaign. They'll be joined by Rob Heffernan and Sean O'Gohalpine, along with uplifting stories about Cork businesses and great Christmas gift ideas too. Thanks for watching, stay safe and a very good night. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.